Welcome to Mint, the corner of where crypto meets the creator economy. My name is Adam Levy, and every Tuesday and Thursday, I'll be showing you how the creators of today are building the communities of tomorrow by harnessing the power of Web3. Before we kick off this episode, I wanted to recognize one of the NFT sponsors that's helping make Mint a reality. They are CyberConnect, a decentralized social graph protocol allowing users to own and control their social connections while providing a universal data layer backed by powerful social features to empower developers. Already with 150,000 users and 3 million connections, CyberConnect is the largest decentralized social graph supporting Ethereum, Binance Smart Chain, Near, and Solana with more coming soon. To learn more, visit cyberconnect.me and start connecting with everyone in Web3. This episode welcomes Wilson Wei and Ryan Lee, who joined Mint to share their vision for putting creators and users at the forefront of ownership using their decentralized social graph CyberConnect. In this episode, we primarily talk about what the future of Web3 social holds and how creators and users will be able to take their followers from platform to platform in a new reimagined infrastructure that will likely power the decentralized web. So without further ado, let's dive right in. Wilson and Ryan, guys, welcome to Mint. Thank you for being on. How are we doing? Awesome. Hey, Adam. Thanks for having me here. <laughs> Ryan, what's up? How are you doing? I'm, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Thanks so much for, for having me. Guys, I, I'm very excited to have you on. There's a lot going on on social right now uh, with Elon Musk uh, attempting to buy Twitter and conversations around data ownership and, and, and creators liberating themselves using Web3 Primitive. So we have a lot talk about i always like to start with intros first okay so wilson and ryan who the hell are you guys what does the world need to know about each of you but more specifically how did you get your start into crypto we can start with wilson and then we'll go to ryan sure um this is wilson and um um i graduated uh, graduated from uc berkeley and that's how i met ryan uh we were in the same entrepreneurial club um, and then uh, I got into crypto in um, early 2017. Uh, we started off with, by creating a um, pretty novel, you know, content content blockchain called Lino Blockchain. And then later on, we uh, also introduced the Live Talk TV, um, the first decentralized live streaming platform. Um, and then we got acquired. Um, after a year break, we, we we tap into you know building CyberConnect right now, and uh, I'm the co-founder of CyberConnect, and uh, Ryan. Yes, uh, well, I'm Ryan. Uh, also graduated from Berkeley. Um, before this, uh, me and Wilson, we did the the venture together with Leo Blockchain with DLive.TV, where we onboarded a bunch of creative streamers. And before that, I actually had a, a, a year and a half building a social application uh, at Berkeley and Stanford, which didn't really work out, but I learned a lot during that experience. Uh, yeah, that's what and my, my, my step into crypto is really the Steam blockchain, which was really, really kind of interesting back in 2017. I think that's where a lot of inspiration for, for D-Live and Leo was coming from as well. So this club that you guys met in at Berkeley, I, I also got started, I guess, with a lot of my entrepreneurial endeavors uh, at the university as well. Um, what is it about the club setting you think that kind of like prompts you into now working in Web3? I have my, my like hot take, but I'm, I'm curious to know how like starting in a club, meeting each other in a club and how that's kind of like influenced your, your like product mindset and your, your entrance into Web3. Yeah, I think... Um... We did a lot of, of, of you know, uh, company touring. Um, we went to a lot of the startup companies in the Bay Area and also um, um, some other areas as well. And that taught us a lot. We, we got a chance to, you know, actually um, see all those entrepreneurs and, 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 and see them like grow their company from like zero to a to you know multi-billion dollar company and uh, also how their point of view of product and um, the whole ecosystem um, and also we learned their you know um, how hard it is to actually start a company and uh, how important it is to create value and, and remain um, you know um, always keep keep 
going back to your mission um, constantly, don't lose focus. Um, all of that, like we learned a lot from our you know previous entrepreneurs, and uh, we got those opportunities based on the club. Um, I was the you know uh, president before Ryan, and then Ryan um, um, after me. Mm. And, uh, we planned a lot of those trips uh, to got the opportunities to talk to top entrepreneurs within the space. Um, for Web three, uh, we we you know we, we didn't actually talk to so many other like Web three companies back then uh, or blockchain companies back then, but we have a very good environment uh, when we have a whole ton of discussion in into Bitcoin and um, um, for example also the Steam blockchain, and that's how we got started. Got it. What about you, Ryan? So you you joined as president after Wilson. I guess, like, what were some of, like, the initial companies that inspired you guys? I only well, I only asked this, by the way, because I was also in a similar situation like you guys. And I remember our club ended up going to Redwood uh, near Silicon Valley. And we got to tour all these, like, tech, uh, tech startup, like, offices. And I'll never forget seeing Box's office. And it was one of the most beautiful things I've ever come across. And it really, like, sparked a lot of my motivation and inspiration to kind of do and enter more of the tech scene specifically. I guess, were you guys already like tech-centered when you guys entered the entrepreneurship club or did that come afterwards? I mean, I was, I was super tech-centered. So I, well, okay. I, before that, I, I, I worked at Facebook and, and Google before as interns and did a bunch okay. of hacking on my side. So I, I kind of knew what's going on, but like the, the really inspiration part was like some trips to those uh, companies I've never heard of, but it turns out to be, they are tackling something really interesting with a uh, very simple tag, actually. A lot of them are just, yeah, great businesses. Got it. How'd you guys go by building DLive? Like, what was the inspiration for starting that initial project? Yeah, Ryan, um, so, you know, a live streaming platform, like, like we started off with uh, the Lino blockchain and then later on we bought on DLive. Um, okay. um, so, for for the you know the Lina blockchain, the, the fundamental problem that we were trying to solve was um, the unfairness or the conflict between content creators and platforms. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's how we got started, and um, um, we, we we think live streaming it's a very good um, um, form of media uh, where users will generate a, a whole bunch of, of smaller transactions. And uh, you can leverage the blockchain with that uh, a lot, um, and also prevent a lot of the you know just botting and um, and um, you know uh, like 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 just spamming uh, mm-hmm. the incentive system because people are actually paying uh, for tips or donations. Um, yeah, that's how we how how we actually got started. Got it. Got it. You know. Part of uh, my journey into content creation started with live streaming. Prior to Mint, I started this like Tuesday right. weekly uh, segment called Blockchain and Booze. It started during COVID and the whole idea was to kind of like bring people together over a drink while we were locked indoors. And that that was like the first step for me into content creation and then kind of like inspired me to go be my own creator as uh, as we're doing right now with Mint. So. Now that you guys have pivoted into kind of building CyberConnect, it's actually quite exciting for me because a lot of the ethos behind Web3 Social, and I guess it's more for you guys to answer, but I, I very much align with it. like being your own bank for the most part, owning your data, owning your audience, a lot of these primitives that we'll talk about. But I guess before we even get into there, before I answer those questions for you, why social? Like why, why tackle the problems in Web3 Social? Why, why you guys specifically? Uh, first of all, like why show show? Um, I think right now Web three and blockchain in general um, are focusing so much on um, the financial industry. Uh, we got all those tokens floating around um, and, and and NFTs. Um, but in order for Web three to actually become more mainstream adopted, uh, I think show show it's going to be a huge part of it. Uh, without social, like it's it's gonna be just a you know financial game, and I don't think that's uh, that's the whole purpose of, of Web three. Um, and for us, like we have 
years of experience building social platforms, um, uh, tackling on problems on on the infrastructure design for um, uh, data and also content distribution and financial incentives. So, you know, we back in DLive and and Lena, we work with more than sixty thousand live streamers. So we we know how it is like um, to be a streamer and and also uh, the demand from users. Um, yeah. So um, and and also we were a pretty web three native team. Um, we have been in the industry for more than five years already. Um, yeah, I hope that answered the question. Like, why us? Yeah, no, that that makes sense. I guess why why you guys specifically, but I guess why why do you align with the problems in Web two, like Web two social, and how you try to solve them in Web three? Yeah. Because when you talk about a founder's journey, right, you really have to align with like the purpose and the mission that you're trying to build towards, right? And you, at least for me personally, I can't go into something because there's a lot of money and just commit to it and build something like I really need to align with the foundation in terms of what I'm building for like the purpose right so that was kind of like so, so it does does answer the question but I guess also from like Ryan for you specifically like why why the interest to build in web3 social like what are the problems in web2 social that have inspired you guys to go and build into web3 social well I can uh what I think the the social scene in Web two has reached this like top of the S curve where the acceleration of the growth has just stopped like for the past probably ten years like there there's very little innovation except from TikTok probably like all the same platform mm -hmm. we've been using for the past ten years are still around and back like eight years ago when I was building the social application on campus it's like yeah you can build a great app but like nobody will use it because everybody has their own circle on those platforms mm -hmm. and they are just controlling everything. Uh, building up their mode by having those users on the platforms and you just cannot build a better user experience and expect people to come. That's that's the point. Like there's no innovation happening, like very little innovation happening in social scene. And having the ownership back to the back to the hands of users and making platform less of a centric place for those interactions to happen, but more like a top a, a, a bottom, bottom to top kind of approach where uh, people can own different part of the data, different part of the stack could really be the maybe the the uh, the beginning of something very interesting on Web three social instead of just hoping we're gonna be around with Instagram and TikTok for the next mm -hmm. twenty years. So you're telling me it's not gonna be a good idea to be with Instagram and TikTok for the next twenty years for them to dominate the entire social scene? <laughs> I don't well, know. Right, like, yeah, I think yeah. And 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 um, I want to add on a little bit on the on the problem. Um, like I mean, TikTok and Instagram and and YouTube, those are great platforms. Mm -hmm. But fundamentally, the problem is like they own all of your data, and therefore they own your channel. Um, they own all the you know um, creators' channel. No matter how many years you spend times to build on, let's say you know a million follower, mm -hmm. um, those are not your data, and. Um, what we're building could actually solve the problem. We give back your channel to users, and especially it's going to be super meaningful for influencers because mm. those followers are actually their social capital. That's how we call it. Um, and then um, CyberConnect will enable your mobility uh, of your social capital, meaning you could go to another platform and still have the same amount of following because you actually own those data. And that's gonna change the whole game. That's gonna solve the relationship problem and in and, and internal fundamental conflict between creators, users, um, and platforms. Because now we're we're on the same you know um, um, table. Like like you provide your service features, I own my data, and and you don't have the dominant right uh, bargaining power against me. So I get more control over what I want to do and what I want to do with my platform. That could potentially solve. The problem with demonetization, unfair traffic distribution, mm. and a lot of those stuff. So um, that's a huge problem, and and um, um, yeah, got it. So how do you guys kind of understand the current state of Web three social? Like, where are we? It's twenty twenty two. We're seeing headlines of Elon Musk wanting to buy Twitter. We're seeing all these like these like purpose driven revolutions of content creators issuing NFTs tokenizing themselves building an audience on chain we're seeing like like grassroots movements kind of like sparking up that leads that may lead into something bigger 
right? And I know you guys have over a million users on, on your social graph specifically. So what better person to kind of ask, like, what is the current state of Web3 Social? How do you think about that? Yeah, I think um, it's exciting to see all those um, creators and in, 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 in application trying out different um, um, use cases. Uh, but in general, like Web3 Social is still in its pretty early stage. And um, I think mostly because the infrastructure is not 100% ready yet. And that's why we uh, started with building CyberConnect as the social graph infrastructure um, for, for developers. Um, and um, it, it, it has a huge potential uh, for social application and, and content distribution platforms um, to get into Web3 and be more uh, crypto native. Um, for example, like NFTs could solve uh, the problem with a lot of the copyright problem um, and the loyalty uh, split problem. And then um, um, what we do, like, you know, what I just mentioned previously, because mm -hmm. of channel ownership problem and data ownership problem and the mobility of, of your social capital. Uh, those are the uh, one thing that is very different than uh, like between Web3 and Web2 would be Web3 Web would be very user centric, meaning users are going to use their wallet as their account system and try to own everything um, instead of platforms only everything. And uh, I think that's going to change the whole thing. And um, yeah. Got it. What do you guys think about the the current like offer for Elon Musk to buy Twitter? Can we talk about that for a second? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's um, it's very interesting. Um, but I I think like Elon right now, Elon Musk, it's it's um, you know uh, holding on the deal because of mm -hmm. the uh, he, he's suspicious about like the five percent of true owner right. that that Twitter claimed to have. Uh, the the five percent like less than five percent of bots. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, I personally I I love uh, Elon Musk. Um, he's he's kind of like my my role model. I, I yeah. yeah, I bought in Tesla super early on. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, but uh, I think he's trying to somehow if if let's a Twitter. It doesn't really matter whether it's Elon Musk or, or someone else. If Twitter become more and more decentralized enabling users to own their channel i think that's generally a, a exciting thing to see mm -hmm. and um by seeing their like like first step of you know um enabling uh recognizing the nft as avatar uh for their twitter pool i th i think that's awesome um yeah. like to see more and more mainstream web to major giants to adopt this system but uh fundamentally um what would change is the data problem uh, the question here is like when and how uh, they would get to a point when they're willing to give up all those data back to, you know, where it belongs. Like users. So, so that's the question. Like, is there an incentive to do that? Like the way Twitter is run today, it's very much like an advertisement model, right? Um, and there's power behind having so much data, not for Twitter, not just for Twitter, for all these like main web two social platforms and audio platforms and a lot of these creator first platforms is there an incentive to democratize and make the social graph like open source like he wants to and give users ownership of their data i guess from a twitter point of view like do you see that world coming into picture from how things are run today i think um in the short term it's going to be extremely difficult okay. uh, because twitter as a public company um their major goal is actually to make money and, and maximize their profits um, and by owning those data, uh, they remain as the dominant social media platform online ever. Um, so, but if if they could just, you know, think a little bit more longer term, um, and and see how how the web three world could potentially be much bigger than just a social media platform, um, they could maybe change their mind and and try to convince their board members. Um, you know, we're, we're chasing after something that's that's going to happen like within the next five years or ten, and we want to main remain as as the leading technology firm um, instead of you know being left behind uh, by the whole uh, revolution of Web three. Right. I think that's the probably the only you know potential. And 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 if Elon Musk actually uh, buys Twitter, I, I think that 
he might be the person, but uh, right now it seems like it's not happening. The deal is off. <laughs> so yeah, it does seem like the deal is obviously on standby, um, given all the botting issue and the spam issues. I guess that's a big problem in Web2 Social. Like it's hard to authenticate users and it's hard to prevent all these bots and spammers. Like if you tweet MetaMask right now, you're going to get a bunch of bots saying that they're MetaMask support, right? And it's like, it, it makes the experience less enjoyable. So I guess my question to you guys, in a Web3 social standpoint, how do you mitigate bots? How do you mitigate spammers? Like what, what is the formula for defeating these bad actors online? Yeah, so um, very interesting question. Uh, we're exploring to that um, constantly. And, um, you know, uh, one thing that we're trying out is like we recently come out with a product called Link3Doc2. Okay. And one thing that we do is to verify manu manually uh, with, with other projects that's trying to create their own page on, uh, on, on Link3Doc2. Um, and and uh, the thesis behind it is we want to start establishing a group of, of trusted accounts, which is address based. Um, and then um, starting from this group of trusted accounts, they are going to start making connections with different accounts. Uh, for example, the trusted account could follow, you know, 10 other accounts and, and that would create another group of trusted accounts. And, and starting from this, you know, trusted standard group, expand the trust uh, beyond that. Mm -hmm. and, and that would ultimately create a very um, healthy environment uh, of, of, of real human engagement account system. Um, and also another way to do it is to use um, the assets that we have um, with, with tokens and NFTs to increase the cost of, of, of you know, faking a, um, um, a, you know, a bot, bot account. Uh, for example, you could almost definitely say like, if your, your address has an, let's say CryptoPunk or an ape, um, it's going to be a real, you know, um, user behind it. It's not going to be a bot. Um, you you mm -hmm. could like 10 million bots based on, you know, uh, those assets. Um, yeah, so so that's that's our way to explore into it. Got it, got it. So another thing we keep talking about is ownership, and this is ownership is a big topic that I've consistently talked about. I feel like on almost every episode because the way I think about ownership, it's still a gray area. Like what what does ownership really mean on chain? So from a creator's point of view, okay, when you say a creator can own their data in Web three. What does that mean? Like, what is what does that visually mean? What's the benefit of that? And how do you think about that that process? Yeah, I think um, the example. Yeah, let me take like uh, TikTok or YouTube as okay. an sure. example again. Um, the ownership means that you own your followers. Um, for example, you already have your YouTube uh, uh, channel. And if you want to create your TikTok channel the other day, and you could you could have the same amount of followers, and and that's essentially how 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 we're you know defining the ownership of data. Um, without the ownership of data, uh, you would never be able to do do that unless unless um, you know YouTube somehow changed their mind and give you all the all the all the all the right to to all those data, um, and they will have like those two platforms that will have to be fit it into one account system, which is not happening. But uh, the differences here in Web3, it's we have this like universally uh, pretty well adopted account system that is wallet-based, address-based. Um, so everything that uh, become much more interoperable. Um, so when you are establishing relationship between your followers, that's address to address. And, 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 and that piece of data, um, it's valuable because it could be bought onto other platforms and it could, it could, it could mm -hmm. be the same um, meaningful relationship. Got it. And, Got um, it. Yeah. So Ryan, I guess from your point of view, like being more of the tech minded person here and the CTO of CyberConnect, how does this work from a more infrastructure level? Because a lot of what CyberConnect is about is creating an ecosystem that allows developers to build on top of and to build applications so that you can take your following from one place to another. So when you're designing this this protocol, this ecosystem, what goes into actually making it successful? Like, how do you think about that? Yeah, of course. Well, first, for visually, like only a, a piece of data, it kind of means like I can show you the data without like showing you a central platform of displaying the data. Like I can tell you that I have this amount of followers, 
without relying on YouTube telling you or telling us that that's the amount of followers that, that I have. But instead, I can show you an Etherscan or I can show you something that's very neutral. You can replace it easily and show us the data that lives on blockchain or lives in a decentralized store, which everybody can rely or trust on. So to design the system that we have, we, we aim for a very scalable, very performance system. Uh, and also making sure that all the data integrity are kept safe and all the data are always available so that it can be like, so Adam is growing fast and I want to shut Adam down. Like we can just take away that piece of data and throw it in, in the garbage can. That, that, that doesn't work. And we have to make sure that uh, all the followers Adam has here always belong to them. Like it has to be initiated from some, some, uh, some, some account that's uh, authentic. Authenticated mm. to, to to initiate some action. So in the end, it's very similar to to what we had was very similar. We started out with the uh, on chain approach to save everything on chain on um, on Polygon or on, on Solana, some cost efficient effective way. But then in the end, we actually have a much more performance system that's sufficiently decentralized for now, so that we can onboard the amount of users that we have, like to almost a million users right now. Uh, and all, all the data are safely backed on those decentralized stores are like our weave. So people can always rely on, okay, this is not just cyber kind of telling me what data is, but also everybody can check on our weave. Hmm. So let's go back to this concept of ownership for a minute. Okay. When you say you own your data, the way I think about it is, and, and I'm testing in public here. So every single season I issue free NFTs to my audience. Okay. And I do this in an effort to kind of give back to them as, as, a, as a thank you and also to solidify their participation early on in the podcast. As I grow as a creator, as the platform grows, they can prove that they were there before the people who joined in season 10, for example. And that's what I think about of, of owning an audience. When they own an asset that came from you, from your smart contract address, that NFT, that token sits in your wallet, that's a form of ownership from the creator to the to the to the listener to the fan right and with that you know and i don't think it exists yet but with that i feel like i could tap into data that otherwise may have been restricted uh from more of like web 2 platforms for example so let's let's think about this out loud i, I would love to brainstorm with you guys okay so over six thousand nfts were collected just as the example now through that i could see really interesting information that i otherwise wouldn't have been able to see if it was coming, let's say, from Spotify or Apple Music or Instagram or Twitter, for example, then the most important metric I'd argue is like net worth, right? Like how rich, how affluent is my audience, for example, right? Which is super important because as I create more content, as I create a better experience for my fans, I want to know these things because it will it will kind of dictate how I, I lead my content direction, for example. And that's a metric. I remember doing like Facebook ads back in the day when I was doing like, like amateur e-commerce and shit. I remember that was a, that was a data point that Facebook would never really give me. I would always have to find like uh, uh, zip codes and try to find uh, like where, where are they living? Like, are they in Beverly Hills? So if they live in Beverly Hills, I can target people in Beverly Hills. And based on that, they may have money, for example. Right. But with this, it's a little bit different. Like, am I thinking about this the right way? Are you guys thinking about that similarly? Like, guide me here. I think uh, that's definitely one of the potential usage of, of it um and and with you know with, with the connection data that we are establishing here you could also come up with uh you know analytics uh for your follower base right. uh, and everything is address based you know uh but other than like like their wealth and, and their uh, assets or uh or tokens um i'll be more interested in who they are Mm. And 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 how they're connected with 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 other communities, like mm -hmm. who, who who they really present them, like how they present themselves in, in the, into the space. Because the Web three, it's not gonna be like like um, you know, might not be as as that ad driven uh, as Web two. Sure. Um, so I would I'll, I'll I'll say like the potential of of leveraging those data and knowledge to build a community that that it's really tight and loyal it's a much better potential um use of, of the, those data and, so for, uh, for example wilson so let's use again that the nfts like the six thousand free nfts for example so based off that seeing what part of community what what which communities they align with which communities they're part of 
So with that kind of like logic, I can then go and see, okay, how many of the people that collected my free NFT also hold a board ape? For yeah, example, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, right. How many yeah. of them collected a specific POP from ETH Denver, for yeah. example? Right. These these types of scenarios, right? Can you elaborate on that for a little bit? Yeah, Ryan, Ryan, Ryan. Yeah, yeah. yeah this is uh, this is something I've I've been I've been dreaming about. So before this, there's there's no way for you like from from Spotify's data coming back to you. There's no way you can tell if they like this particular YouTuber, right? Like, right. There's no way to tell uh, what's their preference or what their interest lies outside of this platform. But 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 with with the the same address being used across different platforms, you can tell. Oh, maybe this is also. An NFT trader, I can I can have a better demographic view of all these different users and find those interest groups that, that that could never exist before. Like now, probably you have a better view of oh maybe they're all NFT collectors or maybe they're all just pull farmers that doesn't really create a lot of value. Or you can discover some interesting communities around who are the other people that also listen to Adam's uh, Mint podcast and also share some experience similar as I what I did. Like oh, what if I can I can find all the other holders that to this mint five uh, to the five but mm -hmm. also with also holding let's say uh east denver a po app we've all been there we've all found out about this mint to the five that creates a real unique group of people that can have a great conversation what's up guys adam levy here sorry for the quick pause but i wanted to recognize a couple of our nft sponsors who are helping make this episode a reality they are coinvise and mint songs First up, on Coinvise, you can create a personal or community-owned social token on Ethereum. Coinvise also helps you create incentives through token rewards and bounties, NFT business models, and bot integrations for Discord. Discover more by visiting coinvise.co today. Next up, we have MintSongs, who is home to over 1,200 music artists in Web3. Check out the MintSongs marketplace to support, collect, and connect with artists creating Web3 communities around their music via NFTs. In June 2022, about next month, MintSongs will be launching their much-anticipated V2 marketplace on Ethereum, which aims to make Web3 even more accessible to music artists. Follow along on Twitter at MintSongs or check out MintSongs dot com to learn more all right back to the episode so it's funny i've i've been i've been talking about this like scenario because there aren't any tools out there just yet that that uh empower creators on a very simple level like there's there's nft analytics there's dune analytics where you need to know sql to kind of query data to kind of learn more about these addresses but there's nothing that's like plug and play that you can just copy and paste an address and boom you get your answers like that right and i did this experiment uh i think it was at east denver with this artist her name is queen george She's an independent music artist, and we put together a concert, essentially, at ETH Denver. We issued tickets as NFTs on Polygon, and the sole intention was to try to get, in Growth Hack, like a few hundred uh, core Ethereum collectors to come and attend the concert. Because at the concert, we had the opportunity to mint a one-of-one -one song that people could kind of scan their phone and, 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 and kind of get the link from the QR code. And we did this entire like funnel, this entire experience, and it made us think afterwards, like, wow. Like there's a whole interesting like opportunity over here for Queen George as a music creator and to tap into data that she otherwise wouldn't have had access to through Twitter or through TikTok or through Spotify or Apple Music because their power comes from the data, for example, amongst other things. So yeah, I'm 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 interested to see how this kind of like plays uh and and plays forward. Another question I want to ask you guys is a lot of uh I guess what web two social platforms aim to do is empower the creators because without the creator there is no platform like that, that that's an argument so in web3 what kind of tools do you think creators need to kind of liberate their creativity how do you guys think about that yeah i think you know we already mentioned one of the most fundamental right. um, infrastructure the data ownership mm -hmm. and then other than that it would be a whole bunch of, of you know um explore um exploring into like nfts i'll say and then um, something that we're building, like Link3, um, I think that could potentially uh, become a hub for creators to manage their community. Um, I think for Web3, it's not too much uh, of solving the problem of, of, of content delivery. It, it's kind of like solving the problem. It could better solve the problem of, of how you form a, a, a tight community, uh, almost like your VIP group of fan base. Um, and um, you, could, you could leverage a lot 
um, other tools like like NFT and uh, um, for example, like we we recently uh, read the uh, newest essay from uh, Vitalik uh, talking about like soulbound token. Sure, uh, that's something pretty interesting as well. Um, if you know, um, if we we come up with a um, you know a soulbound token, and that could become another tool to you know give you the badge. Uh, which is non-transferable, but 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 give you the status of of being Adam's number one fan, you know. Mm-hmm. Like that that would be interesting. Um, yeah, a lot to explore into. Um, but those are the you know uh, examples that I could come mm-hmm. up with on my head right now. So speaking about soulbound tokens, before this like keyword even came out, this new buzzword, all of the NFTs are non-transferable. Like it's intentionally made so that you can't sell them on secondaries for the sake of being able to solidify that this wallet address interacted with the podcast at this date, at this time, and that's it. It's there forever, you know? And there's something special to that. And it's funny because now you see on OpenSea, like if you go to the smart contract address, you try to see people sell it for more and it just won't, it won't sell because it is non-transferable, right? So I think this concept of non-transferable NFTs with no secondary value are still very new and very early. Um, but I think solidifying one's participation or engagement with a creator is a great use case for them, for example. Um, yeah. I want to talk about virality for a minute because virality is a very key component of social, of course. Uh, arguably, TikTok's like killer feature, or one of them at least, is they're able to make almost any creator like famous like and reach thousands to hundreds of thousands to millions of followers really quickly. Like they've, they've, They have an interesting model. And I only bring them up because I think a lot about this in Web3. Like, how does how does virality work on a decentralized level? Does the decentralization affect uh, the widespread, I guess, reach of content? Is it is it independent of one another? And I only ask this from a point of view because I don't I don't know, right? Like, you guys are the experts here. But I, I figure if a Web3 social platform were to get legs, it would need that viral component to attract creators and to build an audience. How do you guys think about that? And that's a, um, you know, something that we have been working on. It's uh, what we call the um, um, social data network, and and that includes a whole bunch of, of recommendation system. Um, I, I think TikTok it's really good at recommendation um, algorithms, um, and and that's like one of the, the, the key components of, of how how they make your video content viral by pushing the right content to the right people. And and that's what we we think it's called like interest graph. You know, you, you have the social graph, that's your connection, your interest graph, it's like what contents you would be interested, what 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 are the people that you're not following that might be interested to you. And that, that could be built on top of the social graph. Um, and right now um, we are trying to aggregate a lot of the data from on-chain and off-chain. For example, whether you hold the same Poe app batch or whether you vote it on the same snapshot proposal, whether you are holding the same NFT collection. Uh, those kind of things could add up together to build up a um, pretty good interest graph for each account and each user. Um, and based on the social graph, like the secondary connection and the third you know, multiple degree connection could 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 also add on to that uh, um, interest graph and empower a better version of recommendation system as well. Um, so I I think um, there's a chance um, in Web three, um, the whole recommendation system could work collectively instead of just belonging to one single platform, um, and and that could potentially change the you know um, the basics of of, of the um, of how influencers or creators um, get virals and they, they could have more information on onto onto those um, um, supposedly black box algorithms. Yeah. yeah. I mean, on the other side, though, if you make these algorithms accessible to multiple platforms and you welcome competition, like heavy degrees of competition, because if you if you can take for one, you're following anywhere. And then on top of that, you can apply the same like uh, how did you call it? You said interest. Uh, interest graph. Interest graph. You can take that same interest graph and implement it onto a different platform, I guess. Mm-hmm. And how do platforms build a moat? Like, how do you build stickiness? I think, yeah, that's actually, actually like how we imagine the future. You know, okay. I, I think platforms should build their moat based on the ability of creating a good product experience. 
mm. instead of just taking data, you know, building up those data wall, um, building great experiences and also natively, you know, when user go to your domain, when user go to a website, when user download your app, you know, those traction, those network are your moat. Uh, but mm. down to the bottom, they should compete against each other based on the the user experience and, and the service that they provide. And Got that's a, a very healthy, uh, competitive environment. Got it. Really yeah, quick. What happened in DeFi as well. Sorry. No, no, go ahead, Ryan. What were you going to say? Oh, I, I, I think that's what happened to DeFi as well, right? Like, it's, mm -hmm. uh, apart from what, what happened on, on, on Terra and Luna, but uh, people would have their, like, you're not bound to a DeFi profile because they hold your assets. Not like what banks do, right? Like you, you probably only have, have like one or two banks in, you ever worked with, but you probably have way more DeFi protocol you play around with. And they all, all compete for a better service, better yield, supposedly, uh, through their interesting... Uh, Ponzi-nomics. But it actually creates more innovation, right? Like there is more way more DeFi protocol that's, that's in existence. Than, 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 than banks that, that do have a significant amount of traffic uh, because people, they don't hold users' assets. They actually just provide a better service. Yeah, yeah. I guess that, that gets me into our next point. Um, the market did take uh, like a, a dipper for, for the most part. Um, how do you guys think that affects, I guess, education, how that affects content creation and just more widespread creator growth in Web3? Um, I think for sure, um, the general market, it's going to be less interested because yeah. of, of the market. Um, but I, I, don't, I don't see the trend changing because the basics are not changing. Um, we saw great talented teams working on products um, and efforts and money that put into, you know, projects that try to build a wider range of, of adoption. Um, yeah, yeah, but but when the market is down, it's down. Like um, things will, will tend to grow like slower, but not like stop growing. Um, and I, I'm just happy that like within the last couple of years, um, a lot of the smart money and, and smart people are getting into the industry. And um, I saw that still happening even when the market is down. Um, people are starting to clearly you know, understand this could be the potential future and this could be a huge change. Um, and it's not a game of, of just one year or two. It's a game of a decade or two uh, or even longer. So, um, yeah, uh, uh, like for us, you know, we're here for the long term. Uh, mm -hmm. We're well prepared for a bear market. We're well funded with, with a very top group of selective investors. We just recently announced our Series A. Um, yeah, congrats so on that. It's huge. Thanks. What was it? 15 mil? Yeah. No big deal. Just a quick 15 mil. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. That's really cool. Yeah. So um, I think it's not, it's not like necessarily a bad thing. Uh, sometimes when, when the market get too, gets like too hot, mm -hmm. uh, it creates a lot of problem. You know, uh, the, the, the problem with Luna, it's the same thing. I, I think it's, it's too hot um, and, and the bubble grow like too fast. Mm -hmm. um, or uh, uh, affecting so many other people. Um, if we got more of a reasonable market um, sentiment, um, users and, and products and teams will have more time to testify to a lot of the experiments happening in the space. Um, therefore, um, I think it's it's healthier in the long term. Ryan, you agree as well, or you have a different take? Yeah, I, I, I well, I agree. It's, it's, it's good to have those cycles where people can just take a, take a breather and think outside of NFTs to launch this week, right? Like, <laughs> in the, in the hot, hot market, people are just launching DeFi protocols and, and NFTs, and everybody's right. aping to speculating them, and you always FOMO, like you always feel like you're missing out. But, but actually, it's just, there's nothing much happening in the, in the, in those really hot markets but like really the build phase is during the bear market like what OpenSea did what like Uniswap did during 2019 where nobody cares about NFTs or DeFi and they just keep kept on building and then that's the what was happening next so it's mm -hmm. great to see those those times like that people can slow down and build and also we get less bots as well like we, we were we were heavily oh, really? 
hopefully we get fewer bots in the yeah are you saying on twitter in general or on cyber connect everything every channel that we have on cyber yeah. Twitter, yeah. Like, every, like there's like way too many bots uh hopefully yeah the the funniest spammers are the are the sirs like hi sir like hello sir you know like all all those random dms you know one thing you guys keep uh, mentioning uh and i guess between the three of us we kind of understand what we mean but for those who don't know what is a social graph can you quickly define that either of you yeah yeah sure um so a social graph it's um it's basically represent the relationship between um users or uh, entities or organizations. Um, um, You know, a quick example would be your following or followers on TikTok, on on Instagram, that's your social graph, your connections on uh, Facebook, your uh, local uh, address book on your cell phone. uh, Those are your social graph. Got it, got it. So when when you think about like data and uh, the data collected through uh, a social graph, right? And, And an infrastructure like you guys are developing, what does security look like? So because blockchains are so accessible and so open, um, I feel like it's a threat to privacy at times, especially when users connect their ENS to their Twitter profiles as well. And of course, they, they I mean, I do that. I'm guilty of that. I, 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 I do that. But I, I feel like I do it strategically where everything is not on there. Um, so how do you guys think about security and privacy on a, on a social setting when everything is inherently public? Yeah, I think um, it's a it's a pretty obvious problem, uh, but it's not necessarily the the most important or urgent problem. Um, I think a lot of the social media uh, or data are supposed to be public. For example, your Twitter, uh, but if you link it to your wallet, you you better do it with your wallet that it's you know you are comfortable with uh, the public knowing it, um, and uh, the more challenging question would be um, privacy data that's you know really sensitive, like for example your um, your close circle like friendless or your your your, your social graph in your um, messaging app. Uh, those would be a more sensitive data, and uh, for those data, first of all, it should not be stored um, on any publicly accessible blockchain. Um, and um, we have seen some great efforts in the in the encryption um, um, mm-hmm. uh, vertical. For example, like zk rollup is great, um, and they're improving a lot on the on the on their scalability. Um, and um, once we get to a point when we have more, um, you know, encrypted and privacy reserved infra- infrastructure ready, we'll we'll, we'll we'll start to see more um, use cases and applications tackling into the more um, sensitive kind of uh, uh, use cases. Uh, got it. Got it. Okay. So that, that comes to my next question then. So because the hype around social media right now with Elon buying, it's creating more conversations and, and creating more awareness in general. Um, and with that comes more competition for like Web3 social graphs. How do you guys think about the competitive landscape? Is it a one size fits all? Like one winner? Can multiple winners exist? Um, do you see like interoperability between competitors? Is that a thing? How, how do you think about that? I think it's possible to have like multiple uh, networks. Okay. Um, some serve for maybe, you know, for example, you, you could have like a subgraph for for the gaming community mm-hmm. uh, in a very specific use case, and you, you could have another graph for content-driven uh, platforms. Um, uh, in terms of like competition. Um, I think it it's not it doesn't worry us that much. Like I think I believe we we, we were the first one out there and uh, where they accumulated the most data, um, and that will create a huge network effect. Uh, but if, if someone else come in and 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 um, you know create another type of social graph, as long as they provided a good service or in 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 certain verticals uh, i mean it makes sense to to have like multiple parties providing different type of of graph got it how do you guys think about development on a social graph because a big part of cyber connect is empowering development groups and developers in general to build applications using the social graph 
Um, so I guess my first question is, what does that look like from an infrastructure level? Like, how do you empower a group of individuals to build on top of something? Because I'm not a developer. I don't understand that. And two, what are some of the more like successful applications using CyberConnect today? Okay. Um, Ryan can take the first question. I okay. can probably <laughs> go for well, it. Well, we want, we want the experience to, for developers to be like, let's say if they're building, <clears throat> let's say if they're building uh, a game. Uh, they're going to publish it mm -hmm. on, on Steam where they don't want to manage all the social graph, like, because people have friends on Steam and they can immediately tap into this, the existing user base and how are people playing the same game, game together. So we're providing those SDKs for developers to build when they're like, let's say if they build a game, they can tap into CyberConnect's uh, social graph with the SDK and the APIs. And when they release the game, all the existing users can bring their existing friends and, and followers and followings to this new game and start playing with, playing with those uh, existing friends that they know. And for any well, social applications, it's the same. It's like, it's like back in 2010 when, when applications are voting on top of like Facebook, sign in with Facebook, and you get all your all the signups, new signups, uh, their friend list, and you can tap into that graph and, and rec do do interesting stuff around them, like like what Tinder did with early Facebook's integration, mm -hmm. uh, where they were trying to recommend the second degree friend, like the friend of your friend, that you, uh, the friend of your friend to you in the in the, in the Tinder feed. So, so wait, it, they were doing that, doing that, and they were uh, they were also blocking out all your friends on Facebook and not showing the, their profile on your. That makes sense. So <laughs> that's really funny though. I didn't know that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Those, uh, those are those are like the early days of Facebook, what, what people are building on top, and it actually has oh. a tremendous amount of value, right? Like, um, so that's what we want the experience to be like for the developers. They can easily tap into because we don't own those data. All the users own the data, right? They they, they have to say to you know, right. I want the developer to use my data and give me a better user experience. Got it, got it. So with that, what are some of like the the more successful applications? Um. Right now we have like more than 20, 25 uh, developers are already integrated with, okay. with CyberConnect. And um, I'll give you a couple examples. Like for example, uh, the Project Galaxy ID, um, they're already using it. Um, so when you are following each other through those uh, Project Galaxy ID, um, you're establishing connections on, on, on CyberConnect. Um, and we created that, you know, we, we help them to bootstrap uh, the whole ID relationship uh, between their ecosystem, uh, within their ecosystem. Um, and uh, another more intuitive example would be, uh, for example, Metaforo. Um, they, they create a, you know, um, um, a, a structuralized uh, forum uh, for different projects. And also they have their own forum. Um, and uh, for example, one of their um, forum example would be the OpenDAO. Um, and, um, so by integrating with CyberConnect, first of all, um, once a user logging, even for the first time logging into the, the forum, um, you already know like like what kind of uh, 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 you know what other addresses, what other users they're following, and and therefore you could you could you could do a recommendation of of a, a list of topic that they might be interested in, um, or a, a list of a posts uh, from those like um, um, your following accounts. Um, and then uh, also establish the connection there um, in a decentralized manner. We also in, uh, empower that as well. Um, so essentially, like like a lot of the apps leverage CyberConnect as uh, for two reasons. Number one is to solve the co-starting problem. Uh, whenever you want to create a network, just like how how in the in the mobile era, when a lot of the mobile apps are trying to request access to query your data from your local address book, right? To bootstrap their mm -hmm. initial network. But within Web3, within this address-based account system, there's no such thing. Um, and, and, and therefore, uh, we're here to provide that, to help them to solve all those problems and could immediately provide the user experience with an existing social graph. Um, and then number two, um, just be aligned with the ESOs of, of building a decentralized application. Um, you need to give back the data ownership back to users. And if they try to do it by themselves, it's going to be problematic. They will have to do everything that we built all over again. And uh, but, 
by using just simply our SDK, um, it's super easy for them to, to you know, um, to provide that service. Got it. Do you guys have any like specific visions for applications that you'd like to see built? Like, do you have any specific ideas that you have yet to see someone kind of encounter problems you have yet to see someone solve uh, that you guys would be interested in funding, for example? Yeah. Um, for, for example, like, um, you know, we're building Link3 and I truly believe this, this is a great um, um, applications with, with, with great demand, um, you know, and, and some other potentials as well. Like, like, for example, like right now, addresses doesn't mean anything at all. Like um, some of the users already have their ENS and, and you kind of know their name, uh, but it needs to be, you know, the address and account has to be able to represent somehow a um, um, identity and status. Um, and um, that's a great opportunity uh, for projects to tap into and, and create like uh, platforms, maybe like LinkedIn um, or um, um, some other some other opportunities would be like content platforms. I think that's pretty cool as well um, because with 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 all the assets that you could leverage with it's much easier for content creators to you know generate profits um and and establish a very loyal group of fans um um and obviously games mm -hmm. uh, games would generate a whole ton of, of social um uh, networks um people enjoy playing games and and it's very intuitive um, you make friends um, in different games and, and that's how we build up the whole network. Got yeah. It. Got it. I guess as we, as we kind of wrap up the conversation, I want to leave you guys with one final thought that let's, let's think for macro for a minute. Okay. Uh, we talked about data ownership. We talked about protocols. We talked about interoperability. We talked about what, what creators, I guess, kind of like look like in web three. I want to think about, big picture like what is the grandiose vision for web3 social look and feel like yeah mm, i think first of all we're, we're gonna have um, a lot of the web3 native and decentralized platform providing um services that we we have already on the web tool and also services that we've never seen before you know, uh, for example, like NFT uh, uh, kind of uh, iteration, um, and um, and 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 second of all, like those, like by defining those like decentralized platform, I mm -hmm. think it's still uh, fundamentally the key is to enable like a user centric web instead of a platform centric web. So um, that's starting from the from the bottom, like the account system, the data ownership. And then uh, later on, like empowering all the interoperability for users to choose and cross all those platforms. Um, and then eventually evolve into a real user-centric app. Uh, that's some people call it uh, the metaverse. Uh, but I think like this, you know, uh, user-centric concept, it's it's basically the backbone of, of the future that we're imagining. Hmm. What, what about you, Ryan? How do you think about that? Giving people the ability to own stuff that holds value, or it doesn't really need to hold value, but exists in a longer horizon might really change how people interact. Like, there's no way for you to show what your, I don't know, I've never used MySpace, MySpace before, but there's no way for anyone who has used MySpace before to show what they have done there. But probably in 10 years, you can still show people that, well, I I was the one of the participants in Adams, well, men's season five because I have this NFT. I think that kind of unlocks a lot of uh, interesting social interactions and provides different context and gives people the ability to, to show uh, what they're interested in, where the community they belong. And using all these different user owned assets gives applications the ability to, to, to build stuff that doesn't necessarily have to be like from the ground up. So CyberConnect yeah. provides very, very interesting uh, components to that, a very crucial infrastructure for them to build a, the graph, the social graph, uh, while they can always leverage on the existing like assets and NFTs that, that people have, have owned through, throughout the years. 
Um, that's just my, 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 my thinking on this. That's like never could happen on web two. Yeah. Well, well um, um, yeah, go ahead. A little bit into it. Um, I noticed that you, you, you know, asked the question about macro. Um, so I think people might not notice how important it is for, um, users to, to own data and, and also all those assets, you know, um, on web two era, um, we have billions of users on the internet and none of them have the rights over any kind of property. All of the things that we do on Web2 was, you know, we purchase services from different giant platforms. Um, you, you purchase that equipment, um, you, you purchase this membership, but, but all those are services. Um, and, and on Web2, users will be, user and creators will be able to own stuff, um, including their own channel um, and data. Um, and, and those are considered as the core means of production. Um, and by enabling users to own, like, like basically enabling them to have the property rights. Um, and plus, you know, we have all those smart contracts to, to uh, facilitate uh, transactions and, 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 and cooperation between different parties. Um, I think those are the two key fundamental elements to create a, um, free market and motivate individuals to, you know, um, to maximize their productivity in the long run. Um, and, and I think that's a deuce of, of the free market as well, like enabling, um, you know, individual property rights. And also, um, you know, you, you have some kind of like consensus over, over, over contracts and legislation, um, to facilitate, uh, all, all kind of, uh, um, you know, collaborations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's changed the whole thing. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, I, I'm a big believer in this vision of, of kind of like creators owning their audience. It's obviously a lot of what I talk about on the podcast. Um, ways of owning your audience is by issuing assets and, 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 and forms of tokens to, for, for people to collect. And with that, you unlock all sorts of data and interesting like benefits that you otherwise wouldn't have been able to experience uh, on traditional platforms. So this entire vision of a user-owned in- internet, of a, of a user-owned social graph, of people being able to kind of control uh, their audience, not 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 from like a negative point of view, but more so they have more ownership and say as to how they reach them, how they grow with them, how they build with them, how they interact with them, and be able to take their audience from one platform, move it to another. Because like if you, if, if you guys recall, for everyone that's listening, when TikTok came out, a lot of the Instagram artists that migrated to TikTok weren't able to build as viral kind of like followings as those who were on TikTok prior, right? So then you have this rise of brand new influencers and brand new uh, 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 individuals that are kind of like leading the charge on culture, on pop culture. And it, it, it affects, like it, it messes up. And now you're forced as a creator to create content on TikTok and then build an audience on TikTok and create content on Instagram and build an audience on Instagram and then on Twitter and then build an audience on Twitter and then on Spotify and all these different uh, places and it just gets, it, it's like way overbearing. For me, myself, personally, I already feel that pressure. I feel that pressure trying to do things on TikTok and build an audience on TikTok and that I have to abide by these specific algorithms just to build some type of audience when I, I wish I could just kind of take everybody that's collected my NFT in the past, bring them over to one platform and be able to grow with them simultaneously in a new form of content. So I really, I really get this vision as a creator. It really makes sense. I'm excited to see how you guys kind of tackle this in the future. Uh, especially with this new Series A, um, and I guess before before you wrap up, like where can we find more about CyberConnect? Where can we learn more, and where can we find you guys specifically online? Yeah, so um, um, go to our Twitter, CyberConnect, cool. um, and then uh, our website as well, CyberConnect.me. And uh, the best way is actually to go to link three dot two slash CyberConnect. Okay, got It has everything. It has my profile, my, Ryan's profile, and everything that you need to know about CyberConnect. Cool. We'll put that in the description. What about you, Ryan? Well, yeah, I think the one said it well. Uh, go to link3.me, you'll find everybody there. You can, you can also see all the, our backers, all our, is, is the stories behind the scene, our mirror blogs. Cool. Yep. Amazing, guys. Thank you so, so much. Uh, and shout out to this awesome collaboration that we're doing for season five. Uh, I, I guess I'll end with this. Season five would not be possible without you guys. I am a big believer in what you're doing. I'm super excited to kind of you see see you guys spearhead the forefront <laughs> as to what Web3 Social is and what it's going to become. Uh, so really excited to be working with you guys and, and to kind of like discover the vision and learn more. Till next time.
Awesome. Congratulations on making it this far into the episode. You are a champ. And because of that, I want to say thank you by giving you a free participation NFT. You can claim yours today by visiting adamlevy.io forward slash NFT. Follow the steps on your screen. You'll be good to go. Also, depending on which platform you're listening on, be sure to like, subscribe, comment, share, favorite, etc. It really helps grow the platform and our reach online. And last but not least, I want to give some love and recognize one of our NFT sponsors who's helping make this episode a reality. They are CyberConnect, a decentralized social graph protocol allowing users to own and control their social connections while providing a universal data layer backed by powerful social features to empower developers. Already with 150,000 users and 3 million connections, CyberConnect is the largest decentralized social graph supporting Ethereum, Binance Smart Chain, Near, and Solana with more coming soon. To learn more, visit cyberconnect.me and start connecting with everyone in Web3.